just going to try and get right into the word this morning. Um, in the book um, that I wrote, it was it's funny because people have asked me for years to write books on worship for worship teams and stuff. And I'm like, you know, if you want to learn how to play instruments, you want to do that, go find somebody else to teach you how to do that. When you're in my in my life and in my heart, I can't just talk about the music end of it, and the book doesn't even address the music end of it. It is about a lifestyle. It's about a consecrated heart, and it's about you finding the reality of the presence and the power of God for your life on a personal level that will not only sustain you, but it will propel you. It will challenge you. It will cause, when we say set a fire down in my heart, we're not, we're not playing games because the, the fire of God is a consuming fire. It's something that burns away the chaff. And, and lately in my life, I've been hitting this stride of a, of a new, um, shall I say stream in my relationship with the Lord that is, is, is messing me up. And the amazing, the amazing side of it, the heart, let's say the harder side of it, isn't just the place I find myself in in worship where God's power is there and all this stuff is happening and these little pockets of miracles are happening around us. And, and uh, is somebody struggling with a heart problem right now here in this room tonight? Anybody struggling with a heart problem? If you are, just wave your hand at me. I just want to pray over that for a second. Would you just lay your hands on him next to you? Somebody right there? In the name of Jesus. We just command that heart to line up. Line up now with the power of God. Line up now with the original intent for which it was put in his body to function according to the purposes of God. So right now, beat normally. May the flow of blood and oxygen and life that comes from this heart now come into alignment with the power in the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, we decree and declare. Would you affirm that with me this morning? We declare that over your life right now. I don't know what the initial issue is, but right now, beat normally. Come into alignment if we need a creative miracle. It's happening right now in the name of Jesus. You know, when we start ministering and we start walking in a dimension of the presence of God, it's not just lip service to say that we have authority over sickness and disease. It's a reality that everyone walks in. And it's not just those of us that are more accustomed to it. It's for all of us. When you walk into a hospital room, you have authority over that condition. When you walk into your home or you, you have a sick child in the middle of the night, you have authority over that condition. And so as I've been walking this journey, is somebody struggling with your ear? Uh, sorry, I'm trying to get to my message. <laughs> Go ahead, those of you around you, would you just lay hands on her for a moment? Is it a hearing issue? Uh-huh. To complete it. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we ask Lord God for your power and your presence to invade this woman's body in the name of Jesus, to complete the work which you begun. It says that he who began a good work will shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And right now, he is carrying this work out till its completion. We just declare that in the name of Jesus. May the pervading presence of God just settle upon her body. Release that ear now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
I just got back from a conference in Orlando, Florida um, called Jesus Conference. Anybody heard of Michael Koulianos, Jesus Conference? And uh, Michael is a dear, dear friend of ours. And um, the last minute I was supposed to be, I'm actually spo was supposed to be in New Jersey right now. And I was supposed to be, well, leaving right now. And I do a conference every year in New Jersey. And it, it, and, um, it was going to, um, Michael had called and asked me to come to Jesus Conference, and I was like, I can't, I'm booked in New Jersey. The trips were going to crisscross, it wasn't going to work. And I was like, shoot, because this is a major conference. There's like 5,000 people, and, and uh, just you name it there. And um, just incredible, incredible move of God. And so, but at the last minute, I've done this conference in New Jersey for like eight years, okay? And at the last minute, like six weeks ago, my friend in New Jersey who plans a conference called me. He's like, Amy, this is going to sound crazy, but is it okay if we move you and around and not have you come to Joy Songs, but do something else, I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to Jesus Conference, baby, and I hung the phone up, and so we, we last minute shifted, went to Jesus Conference, and I'm telling you, I knew I was supposed to be there, but, you know, commitment to me is commitment, I'm just gonna you do it regardless, and, and when we were at Jesus Conference, a few of the uh, girls that are here with me today went with us, I, there was a, um, in this audience, it's mostly 20s and 30s, although there were all ages there. And you're dealing with thousands of people. There's over 2,500 registrants for the daytime sessions. And then in the evening, it was, you know, about double that. So it was just tons of people. And Jesus Culture led worship for the first two nights. And, um, and then Upper Room led, uh, which is another great band if you're looking for some more worship music to fill your life up. Upper Room worship's amazing as well. And they led. And I'm telling you, like, I don't know that I've ever been in a place where I couldn't really get up off the floor a couple times. I, it got to a point where the voice of God was so loud inside of me and this burning of the power of God that I, I don't know what to do with myself. And so I flew in, flew back home because I had to preach at the tab on Sunday, last Sunday. And it was late at night on Saturday or late in the evening on Saturday. I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, I can't just go back to teaching. I mean, I've taught for, for 20, I'm, I'm old. I've taught for 25 years, um, after high school. Um, uh, and I, I know how to do that. You know, I, I'm a real student of the word. I'm always in Greek and Hebrew and just on, my book's 300 pages for God's sake. It's a lot. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And we just got back home and there was, Jesus Conference was actually still going on. So we put it on the TV and it, I don't know what happened to me. I really don't know what happened to me, but Sunday morning was different because I had two pages of notes instead of like eight. And I only did a couple little sections of them because it was so real. There is a call that is going out. And it's a call for consecration right now in the body of Christ. Like never before. Not just uh, some good slogans and some good motivational messages anymore and just some nice professional worship services. We're good at that. I mean, the church in 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 North America is brilliant at good services and great slogans. I mean, you turn on any of the Christian TV stations, you know, or any of the satellite networks or on any, any social media, and you're going to find great services with great slogans and smiling faces and, and all the different ways to success. And we've got 150 of them, and everybody says they've got the corner on the market, you know? It's just, it's a lot. But why is it that some of the smallest churches... And I don't, I don't mean this to bash the big and larger ones. I mean, we want to grow and we want to 
you know, have, we'd love to have thousands of people here that you have to build new buildings and start new campuses. We'd love that. But why is it that in general in our culture, the largest churches tend to be the most polished, professional, but presenceless churches? And it's not that they're not going to heaven and, you know, everybody's good and learning good principles and walking good lives. But I want authority over sickness and disease. I want to tread on serpents. I want to walk and I want the earth to shake when I put my foot down. I, d I don't want to hear four ways to success because you know what? My ways to success look different than yours. My ways to success usually involve hitting the ground with my face to the floor and somebody peeling me up with a spatula and say, go do something. And other people, it's you know filling out the resume but God doesn't have me on that path. And though the, the presence and the power of God is just not letting, me, uh, letting go of me right now, in that is not just this great Holy Ghost party. I feel like God is like challenging me at every level. From my thinking, to my motivations, to methods of operation, to just compromising situations and scenarios. I mean, you name it. It's like everything is coming out of the woodwork inside of myself. And I'm in this process. When we say, God, set a fire down in my soul, do we know what we're saying? Do we understand that that consuming fire will challenge every little piece of motive that you have? If you want to walk in a higher dimension, if you want to tread on serpents, you better have the spiritual capacity, the spiritual capacity to do it in our generation. You know, this world is not looking for just the flash pod Christianity. The ones that are really lost want to know that you really believe what you're saying. They want to know that there's power behind your words. And they want to know when you say that you serve Jesus that he actually does something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, I don't even know how to put this because I'm not being eloquent. I'm used to being eloquent and my eloquence is out the window right now. So just bear with me for a moment. I want to challenge you to a place this morning that if you say that you are a worshiper, that you wrestle with personal consecration. You wrestle with it. Not just say, yes, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, and then you're the same when you walk out the door. This isn't, I'm not challenging you to come to salvation right now. I'm challenging those of you that have come to salvation to get into a place where you wrestle, you wrestle with consecration. Consecration where you are surrendering the deepest parts of your heart and you are allowing other people that you trust or other people that God has put in your life to challenge those parts that you don't want to see. See, personal consecration is not flowery and it's not fluffy and it's not just a song that we sing. It's about letting people that God has put in your life and letting, on a greater measure, the power and the presence and the fire of God come into your life to refine and to shape and to mold and to rip out. And, you know, think about what that potter's wheel really looks like. 
We say, hey, you have the potter's hand, and I'm your vessel, and mold me and shape me. We used to sing a song back in the 90s that Darlene Chuck wrote from Australia about the potter's hand, and it was such a pretty song and such a great. But that clay goes through a lot on that wheel, man. Get pretty darn dizzy when you're just spinning around and the potter's working on you and you're flopping over and you're shaped up and you're stretched up and then you rag down again and then, then you're molded this way and molded this way and then, you know. I mean, think about what the clay goes through on the thing and then if it's not shaping right, it's like, I'm gonna smash you down back into a ball and then we're gonna start and then I'm gonna soak you in water and then I'll put you back on the wheel. It's not a pretty process to become a beautiful vessel Personal consecration is like that potter's wheel. In every worshiper's life, there's a war between flesh and spirit. It's when God says that I'm on a hunt for one thing, those who worship in spirit and in truth. That indicates to me, that scripture in John indicates to me that it's kind of hard to find. If God has to look for it, I mean, he's, he's God, man. But if he has to look, if he's got to search for it, it means it's a hidden treasure to him. It means from among the masses that call themselves Christians, that he has to look and search from among the masses to find those that worship in spirit and in truth. So in every true worshiper's life, there is this battle between flesh and spirit, and it rages in those that are lovers of his presence, that want to be more, that want to live higher, that want to go higher, that want to soar to higher heights in the kingdom of God. And that war is a battle over consecration. That war isn't about the enemy anymore. It's about you. We blame the devil for a whole lot that is really our fault. You know, the, the enemy's going to stir up things around you, and I get that, but he has been defeated, and he knows it. Right. And so while there's a battle, and his, he's raging because the Scripture says he knows his time is short, and we know all of that, but if you know the presence of God, you look at him, he's an ant. This isn't about the enemy, it's about you. You are your greatest enemy. And inside of you, if you are a lover of his presence, if you want to be all that he has designed you to be, if you want to be a walking, living vessel for the kingdom of God, that war is not about the devil. It's about you. It's about the war over your flesh versus your spirit. It's called a war, a battle over consecration. You felt his presence, right? How many of you this morning, even, even today or other times, you felt his presence? Sometimes it's so real that it's as if he's just walking with you and he's just right there. You felt his presence. You felt, I call it his countenance, shining over you. Yet you realize, if you're really honest, that the condition of your life is completely incompatible with his glory. Do we really get this or are we desensitized? to the fact that our life in its current state is in essence completely incompatible with the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory. Man, you can look at these scriptures in so many layers. He wants to reveal more than just a feeling of his presence to you. More than just a good word for a season, 
more than just an occasional touch, more than even his healing power. He wants to reveal a dimension of who he is that's going to blow your mind. It's his nature. The glory of God it's, in the Greek is called doxa. It's, just, it's the nature and acts of God in self-manifestation. It's taking who he is and revealing himself to you. This is the one with the fire in his eyes. There's a song that's just wrecking me lately. It's an IHOP song called Jesus, You're Beautiful. You know that song? And it talks about the fire that's in his eyes. I know that your eyes are a burning fire. I'm losing the words. I know that your hair is white as wool. We're talking about a revelation of Jesus that's different than you've ever known. You've known him as Savior. He saved you, right? He, He brought you out of darkness. He's planted you into the kingdom of his light. You've known him as Savior. Many of you have known him as friend. You've known him as he's walked alongside you during difficult seasons. You've known him as a friend. You may have known him as healer. Maybe he's healed your body. How many of you have been healed at one time or another in your life? Join me in this (laughs) this morning. You've known him as healer. You've known him as Messiah. You've known him in these dimensions. But do you realize that those do not exhaust who he is? Those are just little dimensions of who he is and from each dimension of who he is emerges another dimension he's about to be revealed in this coming day not just as savior as amazing as that is and he will continue to be your savior but not just as friend if you reduce the king of the universe to being your friend you will deny him the ability to express his power he's not just your friend He's not just your buddy, though he'll be with you in every dark season of your life, and he sticks closer than a brother, but we cannot reduce him to just being a friend, and you can't leave him as savior in your life, and you can't just relish the times where he's healed you in the past. He is the rider on the white horse. He is the victorious champion. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the author of all things. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He began everything. He will continue everything and he will complete everything. And you cannot leave him to what you've known of him in the past because there is a new dimension of who he is that's for this day, for the corporate body of Christ worldwide, for the global body of Christ, but also for your individual life. Are you ready to see him as he is? As he is to be revealed right now. Are you ready that he could be the one who stands with a sword in his hand? Like Joshua, the angel came, the angel of the Lord, which was the Lord, it was all capital letters, and he stood before him with a sword in his hand, aimed right at his chest. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you knew there was no other way out And you felt like, God, how can you let me go through one more moment? I remember in the darkest time of my life that I could place, at least there's a lot of them. But I remember one particular time I thought, God, I can't, I don't want to take one more breath, man. Because the pain was so bad, I couldn't take it. And I just fell on my face in my house. I anointed everything I could anoint with olive oil. I didn't know what else to do, man. I was walking, running around my house like a lunatic. If somebody would have seen it, thank God I lived in the country. I'm running through my house, and I'm like, I'm anointing doorposts and pillows and everything I can anoint. I'm like, because I I just am like, I don't know what else to do. 
And I felt like, I felt like Joshua in that moment where it was like there was a sword of the Lord and it was aimed at me. And it wasn't there to be like, Amy, you're a valiant warrior, girl. Shira. It wasn't that. I felt like the tip of his sword was going right into my heart. And I felt at those moments like it was a burning sword, like, oh my God. And there's going to be times in your life where you come up against something or the world around you is collapsing. You think, I can't breathe one more moment. But you know what? Even if his sword is there, even if that warring sword of the Lord that's referenced all through the word of God, particularly in the book of Revelation back in Joshua, even if that sword does pierce your heart, you know what he's piercing your heart with? He's cutting out the garbage that you've got to get rid of if you want to carry a greater level of anointing in your life. He's going to come in and he's going to carve out that garbage. He's going to carve out that doubt and that unbelief. He's going to carve out those places that you have not surrendered to him, that you think, you know what, I'll give you that, but I can't give you this. He's going to take that pain that has left scar tissue in your life, and he's going to carve out the scar tissue. He's going to go in with his sword, and he's going to pierce your heart to remove everything that doesn't belong there, but he's going to also pierce your heart with the things of his kingdom. He's going to come in. He's going to pierce your heart with the things of his kingdom that are so unusual. You're going to have a heart for people. You're going to have words in your mouth. You're going to look at the sick. You're going to have words of knowledge. You're going to look at a condition of somebody, and you're going to say, rise up and walk. He's going to show you things that are only from his heart, but you have no room for them if your life is not continually being wrestled with for this area of consecration. See, that's what the sword of the Lord does is it comes. I am totally off my notes. I'm in like 84, 80, I don't know where I am. There is a place where God is coming with the sword of the Lord in this hour to reveal himself as the valiant warrior, to take you to a place where you do have authority over every sickness, over every disease. You know, when we say, I want to be like Jesus, it's not just about the ooey gooey parts that we imagine of Jesus. It's about him looking at the dead and saying, get up and walk. Do you believe that there could be a day where the body of Christ, like the real remnant body of Christ, rises and actually goes in a hospital room when somebody's declared dead and raises them? I mean, do you believe it? This is the real bride of Christ. I believe that there's coming a day. I mean, it's already happening in many countries of the world. Many people do it. But we're so complacent here. We haven't had to wrestle over consecration because we're spoon-fed Christianity. But when you have to fight for it, when you've got to fight to, to learn, when you've got to fight to know him, when you've got to fight through your garbage, when you, gotta, when you determine in your heart, I will wrestle with this. You know, I was raised, obviously, y'all know, you know, my daddy, he was just here. I was raised in this my whole life. But, I mean, people say that, you know, the gospel has no grandchildren. <laughs> you have to, at some point, my, my girls have to do it. You have to, at some point, wrestle with this thing for yourself. That I never really ran away from the Lord. But I had to wrestle with it for myself. I had to come to a point where I was willing to press through all the stuff that I didn't like. There's a lot of that. I saw a lot. He traveled worldwide, traveled with all of the people. Every 
person you saw on television in the 80s that fell down, we traveled with. We were in every situation. We, we went through all of this stuff. We were in with all the big boys, all the little boys. I saw all the garbage. And then when I started traveling in ministry, I saw all the garbage. And it kept garbage piles and dump yards full of it. So if you're expecting to find Christianity through people, forget about it. I think I was just in New Jersey. Forget, forget about it. Where's Anthony Salerno? Forget about it. <laughs> he can do it better. He's from New Jersey. Um, you'll, just, you'll just dig through, gar- through just dump yards full of garbage if you're looking for this consecration piece. If you're looking for it from somebody else, they're going to blow it. They're going to let you down. I'll let you down. I know I will. Because it's, it's not about from other people. You've got to wrestle with thing, this with the sword of the Lord. And it's not pretty. It's painful. But if you say, I want God, I just want him. No limits. I just want him. Where are you going to go with this? My message this morning was supposed to be called (laughs) Common Versus Holy. And I'm just going to touch on the principles this morning. There is a tension in our lives in this area of consecration, not between necessarily blatant sin as we would identify it. You know, if I was to say, give me some sins, <laughs> list them out like a teacher on a blackboard, we could all do it easily. You know, stuff we've done, stuff we've seen other people do, just look on the television for 10 seconds and you got about 85 of them. You know, there's just blatant, we're not talking about blatant sins. What I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes is about the word common. Common versus holy. You see, there's this tension in the body of Christ with professional Christianity that has watered down the gospel to being palatable to people. If the gospel is palatable to you, then you're missing its power. I'm a little harsh, but I'm going to say it again. If the gospel is palatable to you, if it, if it tastes good and it feels good and it's just, oh, it's just yummy, then you're missing its power. I mean, obviously, you're dealing with an unbeliever. You're going to wash him in the love of Jesus. But if two years later, you're still relishing in that little phase, which is beautiful and necessary and we should experience on a daily basis. But if you haven't gotten to the point that I'm talking about this morning where it's getting hard and the gospel is trying to have its way in you, then I think you need to push a little harder. You're stuck. You need to push a little harder. You know, you need to start a little bit more saying about the Holy Spirit stepping in and saying, Okay, set a fire down in my soul. Because something is about to hit. See, that's the power of the gospel. It's not just the ooey-gooey love of Jesus. He'll always be ooey-gooey and he will always love. And his love goes further than any human love could ever go. But don't deny the gospel its power. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's, 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 I'm going to keep going. 
in this tension in professional Christianity, what we see is the word grace being abused. And to the point where there's doctrines out there in some of these large circles that there is no longer hell, there's no longer punishment or consequence for sin, there's no nothing. It's just grace colors at all. This is not a fairy tale. There's a reason Jesus went to the cross. If, the God, if it covers it all to the point where you can just keep doing, behaving whatever you want and there's no consequences, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did he have to endure? Why did he have to be literally cast into the pit for him to come and redeem the keys of hell? I mean, come on. This is not about us making a message palatable to a world. It's about bringing the power of that message to the world. So this tension in the modernization of this grace message is calling people to live in what I call the gray. Live in this vagueness where there's no black, there's no white, there's just this gray, everything's fine in the gray. But there's a call that's going forth. This call to consecration, I call it the call of the holy. There's two scriptures I want to bring to your attention. Leviticus 10.10 that says this. It begins this passage by saying, this is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Okay, so this is, he's setting a standard here. This isn't just an Old Testament thing that is settled at Calvary, whatever. It's a lasting ordinance for generations to come. So it, to me, that says it's steadfast, it's there. And here's what it says. So that you can distinguish between the holy and the common between the clean and the unclean, depending on what, what, you, what version you read. Just highlight that so you can distinguish, you can see the difference between what is common and what is holy. So to me, that says those two things are opposite. Common things are not holy things. And God forbid we take holy things and try to make them common. So think about that word common for just a minute. See, when you make something common, what you are doing is attaching something that devalues it. Um, we have this term, I'm not sure, um, those of you that are from Canada, um, I'm not sure if you use this, we have this new educational system called Common Core, which drives me a little crazy. I'm homeschooling right now, predominantly due to Common Core. Um, and it, it basically makes the assumption in a sense, that every kid has to learn the same way and do it the same way and everything is test to teach. So it goes to this whole thing. So it's devaluing education and it's devaluing the teachers from being able to take their time to work with each individual child because they're just, they're only evaluated now by their test scores. So it's not about testing the kids to evaluate the children, it's about evaluating the teachers because they're trying to break the backs of the educational system. They're doing a good job. And in this common core, what we've done is we've devalued the educational process and the people in charge of it. Think about the other things that we would label as common in our lives. I'm not going to go through this because I don't have time. But think about things that are common. It, when you attach the word common to something, you are devaluing the original. In the temple vision in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 42, verses 20, 
So Ezekiel is being led through this vision of the temple by the angelic guide. And it comes to this one verse in 42 verses 20. He says, he measured an area on all four sides of the temple. It had a wall around it, 500 cubits high and 500 cubits wide. And the purpose of this amazing wall was this, to divide the holy from the common. So in this vision, there was an emphasis brought to separate the common from the holy. In the very next verse, it says that the glory of God so filled the temple that they fell face down. Why? Because the common was put out and all that remained was the holy. And so that in that place of the holy came this outpouring in this vision of the glory of God to such a degree that they all couldn't move, they fell face down. Perhaps the reason we don't get to that point in our worship experiences or even in our secret place is because there's too much common going on around us or within us, probably more importantly, within us. Think about the tabernacle. There was the three courts, the outer court, the inner court, the Holy of Holies. You know, everybody know what I'm talking about? Moses' tabernacle. I like to think of that outer court is being the place of the common. It's where they dealt with sin, right? So they would come in and they would make a sacrifice and it, the stench of that sacrifice represented the stench of sin. And it was a place where everybody could go, okay? So the majority of people would dwell there. But as you got closer, there was the veils that separated things from that commonality, the place where all the people were, to the place of the holy where was the Ark of the Covenant with the glory of God, the place where only the high priest could go once a year. And in that place was the essence of the blue flame of God where he revealed himself in the Old Testament. Okay? But it had to be separate. You see, the common was for the outer court experiences. And most of Christianity in our lives is spent in an outer court dimension. We're living our lives. God is a box in our lives. He's a compartment rather than being our living substance for everything that we do. We have contained him in a box saying, this is my God box. And how I, how I deal with this box is I go to church on Sunday or I'm in a small group or I might read my Bible. So that's how I entertain this box. He's not your box for you to open up and pull out like a vault in a bank to get what you want when you want it. He is an all-consuming fire that should be not a box in your life, and then you have your family box and your work box and your education box and whatever boxes you got. He is the hub of your life. He is your everything. He is every fiber of your being. Without his breath in your body, you're dead. And if we treat him as holy rather than as common, we're pulling him out of that box and bringing him into the very essence of our life. So in this tabernacle model, that common place is that outer court experience. And then the holy place is the place where the glory of God dwells. And if you were to look at that in three dimensions, the next slide will show you that it's the place, the common place, in the outer court is the place of the majority. But then the holy place 
is what scripture would call the remnant. So out from among the Christian majority in our day and age is emerging the remnant. The remnant indicates small number just by its nature, right? It's that pearl of great price. It's the thing that's hidden. I'm looking for those who worship in spirit and truth, which tells me he appreciates your life and he appreciates your worship and he appreciates that you say you follow him, but he's looking for something more from you because he wants to do more through you. He wants to do more through you than just meeting your needs. He wants to do more through you than just hiding you in the shadow of your wing, his wings when you're feeling down and discouraged. He wants to do more through you. He wants you to look at the face of the broken and the hurting and the ones that are dying from cancer and say, I take authority over you in Jesus' name. He wants you to walk in a room with a tongue of fire on your head that they might not be able to see, but they will surely notice it. He wants to do more through you. You know, it's interesting that our flesh would seek to keep us bound to this common life. What are those areas of commonality in your life? Think about it this way. In what ways does your life look like everybody else? That doesn't mean it's blatant sin. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. But in what ways do you look like you're just anybody else? Anybody else in the world that's around you, what ways do you look like them? I'm not talking about external things necessarily. But the issues of the heart. Because those are the area of the common. Because the area of the holy doesn't look like everybody else. Our flesh wants to seek to keep us bound to that common life. But the holiness of God is calling to you. He's saying, come higher. I'm setting you apart. I am consecrating you as holy. A holy people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So how do we go from there to there? How do we go from being stuck in the common to being captured by the holy. Think about just for a minute, and I'm getting, I'm winding up, I promise. Just for a minute, the third room of the tabernacle, the middle room. This is the place where the priests would have daily and hourly activity. There was the altar of incense. There was the table of showbread, right? There was the lampstands. And each one of those can represent to us ways that we pursue God. And think about it that way. I'm not talking about just religious activity. That's outer court stuff. I'm talking about going after him, not just reading the word, but eating it like the bread of life, right? Not just singing a few songs, but worshiping him out of your life. Not just in song. Song's just a mini expression of worship. It's just itty bitty expression of worship. Worship should pour from you like a fragrance in your life. There's the worship, and then there's that, those candlesticks of, of, uh, or the altar of incense of prayer, your prayer life, your communion with him. 
that makes it all work. If you think about that, the battle between the common and the holy is waged in the inner court. And it becomes a battleground, not just a routine. Sometimes it's going to feel like routine. Like you're just walking in circles like I'm trying to walk around this pulpit without falling. And you're in that place. And sometimes it's routine. But I'm telling you, when you put stuff in that is holy, when you keep eating that word, when you keep going after his presence, sometimes you're not going to feel anything, but you keep going after his presence. When you're praying and you don't see any answers, you just keep lighting that incense. You keep that fragrance burning on that altar. And you keep going around and you keep going around because you need everything that you're putting in you. He doesn't need it. You need it. Everything that you are putting inside of you, that scripture might not make any sense. It may four years from now when you need it, but right now it doesn't make any sense. But you keep waging that war between the common and the holy. I call it the art of tending the presence of God, tending the inner court. Because what happens then is we draw closer and closer and closer to his glory, to the holy. We're we're in essence, where everything that you put in you in the inner court is displacing the common junk. You know, that commonality just fills you up. It fills you up with doubt and fear and resignation. Resignation is a powerful word. Resignation is, well, it's just never going to change. It's just going to always be like that. Resignation is, I guess I'll just never be more. I guess I really just... I'm not going to be them, so why bother? Resignation keeps you living in the same neighborhood with the same habits that has been going on for generations. But God is calling you to the holy. Not to resign yourself to that common garbage. He's calling you to the holy. What's happening right now is that war where you keep like a magnet being pulled back into the common junk kind of like a really strong magnet but it's I want to tell you this morning that that pull is an illusion because the enemy functions only in the realms of lies and illusion he can't function in any other realm if it's in a lie it's the enemy if it's an illusion it's the enemy he has no truth in him so the illusion is that the world and this common junk is just God, it's grip on you like a magnetic pull. But I'm telling you something. The real magnetic pull is coming from the holy. Because God is calling you. He's saying, come higher. Come higher. Keep coming, my daughter. Keep coming, my son. Keep coming. Because that very thing that made you incompatible with his glory is going to be filled with his glory. Because as you empty yourself in the inner court, as you empty yourself and keep emptying and emptying and emptying, there has got to be something to fill it up. And that comes from the holy, the place of the holy. The scripture that really capitalizes on this whole thing is found in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. You've heard it before, but let me read it to you from two different versions, and I'm going to close on this, this topic. It says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of like the inner court part. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully. It's just, you know, keep filling yourself. Keep filling yourself. 
that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, not conforming to all that common stuff, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That's not said as, this is a suggestion for you. How about you give this a try? It's a command. If he commands something, he's equipped you for it. He doesn't set you up for failure. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God will never set you up for failure. If he's put a dream in your heart, he's not setting you up for failure. In the Message Bible, that same last part of that scripture says, let yourselves be pulled, there's that magnetic pull, pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. I love the Message Bible. Blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. What in the world? I mean, you can read it no matter what version, it's still a command. There is something in there, when I looked into that little deeper into the Greek, the King James Version says, you shall be holy. Sometimes you need a good shall in a scripture. We, we kind of skirt around that and try and read it from different versions, but sometimes a scripture just needs a shall in it. Because that word is coming from a future tense. Okay? When it says shall be holy, that word in the Greek is a future tense verb. So what it's saying is it's about to come to pass. That's what it says right in the Greek definition. The use of the word shall or shalt is bringing about a purpose, a certainty, a compulsion, or a necessity. That's the Greek definition. The phrase, it shall come to pass, is the one that is saying, listen, it's a certainty, it's going to happen. So when it says, in this scripture, it says, be holy, for I am holy. It says, you shall be holy. It's certainty. It's a coming to pass. It will happen. Are you content for it to happen after you're dead and you're in the throne room? Or do you want this to be a present day reality? Amen. Now, I love the scriptures when it's like, now, I got 70 of them in my head, I'm moving on. Now reality, something that's now, it will happen. But do you want it in your life right now? Right now, you don't want to look like anybody else. You want to be shaped and molded by his touch. See, he's calling at something when he says, you shall be holy. What is he calling at? Is he calling at your heart? Is he calling at your behavior? Is he calling out at your thinking? I'm going to suggest something a little deeper than that. We know that there's two realities that Jesus brought forth that were radical. One was the reality of the kingdom of God and the location of the kingdom of God. Where he said to the Pharisees, he was like, you're not going to see the kingdom. It's not just out there somewhere. Like, think in modern day version. It's not on a cloud in a sky. It's not something you can just go to. The kingdom of God is within you. And there's the other scripture that says, Christ within you, the hope of glory. What's he calling to? Is he calling to your behavior? Is he calling to your techniques of living? Is he calling to your will? 
No. When he says, be holy for I am holy, he's calling to himself inside of you. Christ is within you, and he is completely holy. There's no other word. We have a thousand words in a bazillion worship songs to try and describe them, and none of them work like the word holy. There's something about the word holy. Think about the angels and the elders and the living creatures around the throne of God. What do they say? Holy! All day, all night, continuously, holy. Is that a boring thing? What is that? Bishop Garlington was with us years ago, and he preached this message on worship that just wrecked me. Another one of my wrecking ball moments in my life. It's, it's a becoming a routine. And he was there, and he said, you know what the angels are doing? They're bowing before God, and they say holy. And they look up, and every time they look up, they see a new dimension of who he is. And their holy changes. So it goes from holy to holy. <laughs> and then they bow again, because that glimpse of holy just puts them on their face. And they look up, and they see another dimension of who he is that they didn't know before. And it's holy. And every time they bow, and every time they look up, their holy changes. I call it the power of an ever-increasing holy. So that's the journey you're on. For the rest of your life, your holy should increase. The cry of your holy should increase. One day, that cry of holy is going to be a triumph, champion shout of holy! It's not going to just be holy. It's going to keep changing the tonality, the intensity of it, the length of it. It's going to change throughout the course of your life if you keep putting yourself in a posture of pursuing his holy. Your cry of holy will ever increase. He's calling to that holy inside of you. The holy that is himself inside of you. So in essence, God is looking in you and having a conversation with himself in this scripture. He's not looking for you to say, oh yeah, I did that wrong. Okay, I got to make that holy. Okay, I'm thinking wrong in this area. I've got to make that holy. Forget about it. You're just never going to get there. You're just going to spin your wheels. And you're going to give up. He's not doing that when he says, be holy for I am holy. There's an identity that he's calling forth, not just a behavioral adjustment. I got news for you. If you really know who you are, your behavior is going to change. But if we're all we're focused on is the behavior, we're going to give up and just live in the common realm for the rest of our life. But when God looks over you, he is calling to you. He calls you from the holy of holies. Paul calls this perfecting holiness. He, he's pushing it over you and he's calling to you. Really what he's saying is arise, holy one, not arise, you stinking common piece of junk. He's saying arise, O holy one, even when everything about you smells of the common realm in the outer court. He's not calling your behavior to modify. He's calling your identity to arise. He's calling to himself inside of you, and he's saying, Christ within you, arise. 
He's looking at you and saying, the kingdom of God that is inside of you, arise. Arise, holy one. He says to himself inside of you, be holy, for I am holy. Anytime God uses I am, look out. Cover to cover in scripture, when it's I am, it's all capital letters. Anytime he uses it, look out. Because he's bringing forth something about who he is. And when he says, be holy, for I am holy, it's all capital letters, baby, in the New Testament. And so what he's saying is the power of the I am, like the song we sing all the time at, at the tab, the great I am. He's calling the great I am to come forth from inside of you. So when you hear this cry, be holy, for I am holy, don't resign yourself to your past or to your patterns or your behaviors. He's not even addressing that in this. He's calling forth your identity. Be holy, for I am holy. In, in essence, he draws upon his own life in you, and he places a demand on it. He's calling to himself. It's almost like the Trinity speaks over you, you know? <laughs> Father God saying, be holy. And Christ within you rises up, says, for I am holy. And you know where the power of the Spirit comes in? is as that circle is happening of them having a conversation with themselves, the power of the Spirit then works that holiness into every part of your life. So the Trinity is at work inside of you in this one statement, be holy, for I am holy. The power of your identity begins to transform who you are. It begins to arise inside of you and permeate every part of your life. From the soul of your mind, your will, and your emotions to the acts of your flesh, his holiness becomes the very core of your life. Be holy, for I am holy. Now you be holy, one of the versions says. says, I am holy, now you be holy. So he's calling upon himself, conversing with himself, and calling forth your identity. See, we've got to wrestle this out, people. We've got to get to the point where God's just not being revealed to us, but he's being revealed through us. All of creation is groaning for this reality. And the call to us today is to take a serious look at where we're at and say, God, I make the de declaration in my life to divide the common from the holy. And more than that, I'm going to erect a wall. Like Ezekiel said, between the common and the holy. Like there's no more of that that's going to pollute this. Because as we pollute that, we're making the holy common. And those two can't coexist. They don't meet at all. But God takes what is, it is common and puts a demand upon himself inside of it and transforms the common into the holy. And so this morning, I don't know where all of you are at. I don't know hardly any of you. Who's this crazy chick with the blonde curly hair? But God wants to remove everything from your life that defiles or distracts you, that makes you common, that makes you smell like everybody else. I really believe right now that God can do something so profound 
inside of you that you are literally transformed in your vision. In fact, let's pray over that right now. I just feel, I feel this thing about vision. I don't know if, if somebody's literal eyes get healed in the middle of this, great, but I think it's a spiritual thing. So why don't we just, for the sake of not being distracted, just close our eyes and perhaps lift your hands or get on your knees, whatever you feel right now. God, I ask right now, in this moment, that you would break common patterns in every heart of this, in the sound of my voice this morning. Anything that makes us look or smell or sound like everything around us, just being more clatter in society or culture. We don't want to be clattering culture. We want to shift culture. We know, Lord God, this morning that the only way we can do that is if we bring the kingdom. So, God, we want to be those yielded vessels that literally carry and become the holy. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Every common pattern of thinking be broken in the name of Jesus. Every ounce of resignation, every place where you have held back from who you know you are, been spoken over your life prophetically, or who you see that you are through the mirror image of the word of God, anything that contradicts that in the name of Jesus, we break it off of you. God is calling from his holiness and he's saying, be holy for I am holy. And he's speaking to himself inside of you and says, arise, arise, arise. Jesus, 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 Jes